Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everything we know about UFOs is changing. Thanks to a team led by former Pentagon UFO investigator, Lou Elizondo. That is real, whatever that is. And former top intelligence official, Chris Mellon. This is a current, continuing phenomenon. It's happening, it continues to happen. They discovered five unique characteristics that UFOs have in common. They call the five observables. And released groundbreaking videos <laughs> that forced the Navy to admit its pilots were coming face to face with unidentified objects. The U.S. Navy made a shocking admission today. Strange flying objects caught on tape by their own fighter pilots are, in fact, UFOs. Something needs to be done. Now a new wave of military witnesses is coming out of the shadows. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared. I've never seen anything move like that. Shape, size, speed, it's clearly unidentified. The team is united on a new mission. Connect the dots to reveal the truth about UFOs. This thing had no capability, like anything on Earth. And warned the world about the dangers they might represent. Carl Sagan once famously said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. He was absolutely right. But now we have the proof. Welcome back, folks, to That UFO Podcast. It's another special bonus show, this time an interviewing another former serviceman uh, from the U.S. Armed Forces. He was in Episode 3, UFOs and Nukes, one of the most popular in the entire series. He's also a bit of an interviewer, blogger, and uh, YouTuber himself, as I'm finding out, is David Marceau. David, how are you doing? I'm good, Andy. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. I know you're a busy man. You've got another few interviews coming up as well, haven't you, in the next couple of days? Yeah, I'm going to be doing uh, one uh, tomorrow afternoon as well. And I just I just finished up um, a couple of days ago with uh, uh, writing some responses to a blog article that uh, I was asked to do. No, that's awesome. Uh, and I, you won't mind me saying this because he's going to do the same for me, but I know tomorrow you're on Somewhere in the Sky with Ryan Sprague. Uh, and again, right. like Jeremy McGibbon, we got both of you almost exactly the same time, uh, but we've both got our own styles and everything. So I would definitely encourage anyone, once you've listened to this interview with David, go out and listen to Ryan's as well, because we've got our own styles and our own questions. We'll, we'll definitely want to be asking David, and it, no doubt it's a story that's worth listening to two or three times over anyway. That's that's a nice plug for him. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. And and uh, we've had a little bit of conversation back and forth on on the subject of of me uh, doing you know your your show and then his. And um, I, I think he's going to uh, try to take things in a little bit different direction. So it'll, it'll be good. The the two should be you know uh, pretty different and and have a lot of uh, different information. Absolutely, Ryan's a cool guy. He was a guest on my show a couple of weeks ago, and we were we were talking for a long, long time. So, uh, podcaster yeah. to podcaster. Um, but listen, David, um, you've obviously 
come to prominence, if you want to say that, to, to everyone's eyes as un- unidentified. Episode 3, UFOs and Nukes, is one of the highest rated of the season. I think just having Nuke in there and UFO, yeah. it, it does the job, doesn't it, in, in a search engine. Um, but when you see that in a TV guide or online, it's going to get people's interest. So in speaking to Anthony LePay and Jeremy McGowan, on TV, you're limited to a couple of minutes and no doubt your conversation and story went on a lot longer than that. So I'd like to start off in your own words, David. Could you just take us back to the night of your experience and tell us what happened? Yeah, and you're, and you're right about, you know, with the editing that um, I want to say that we had probably six hours of footage between a couple hours that I did at A&E Studios in Brooklyn and then I, I want to say up to four hours that uh, Lou Elizondo and his crew were here. So there, were, there was a ton of information. They asked me so many questions. They looked at it from all different angles. They, they really did a great job of trying to, um, you know, parse out every every little detail to make sure that they got the uh, the story straight. There was still, I, I, I want to, you know, honestly say a, a couple inconsistencies between what they showed and, and what really happened. Uh, but you know that, that's okay. I think I think the they got the gist of it, and uh, you know maybe I can clear some of that up right now. So um, uh, I don't even know where the beginning of the story is because there's so many points where I could kick off. But uh, you know, I, I was on uh, annual training. I was in the U.S. Army Reserves, and uh, this was. Uh, 1992, the summertime, it was my first annual training with my unit. I had done basic training in 1990, right out of high school, uh, advanced training, AIT, that's for your, you know, your specialty, uh, a year later in summer of 91. So summer of 92, even though I had been in now, uh, you know, three years, I, I think I, you know, I had some rank on my collar. Uh, this was my first annual training with my unit. And uh, that summer, we were uh, scheduled to go to Gagetown, New Brunswick. The unit had been there a few years earlier before I was in. Uh, my dad was in, in my unit, and uh, so he had been there before to Gagetown, and he was uh, coming back with us the second time. Uh, I was on the advance party, and I want to say there were maybe 13 of us that went up ahead of the rest of the unit. We went up a week early to get everything set up, so we, we drove the trucks up. We, uh, you know, uncrated uh, boxes, uh, set up tents so that a week later when the rest of the unit came, everything was ready to roll. They just had to, you know, drop their packs uh, by their by their cot and uh, get started. And, and I, I believe they came up on a Sunday after we had been there for a week. They came up on buses and uh, and then we started our, our actual mission uh, the next day, Monday. So during this um during this first week up there, the, uh, the, the setup week, um, you, you know, it was, it was a, a mix of, uh, you know, work hard, play hard. So we would, we would put in a good day's work. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to get a camp set up for over, you know, so there's probably about 80 people, I think, uh, in total that, that ended up coming the, the week, the week after. So we had to like, we, we built a, like a garage, um, it, there's a name for it. That's like a, it's like an arch shaped uh, kind of building, huge building that, that we fabricated. Uh, we, we put up, you know, huge tents. It was a lot, but then, you know, we'd kick off early afternoon, uh, go to the, the post exchange, get some beer, which we weren't supposed to have, but you know, we, we would, you know, play cards and drink at night. And uh, during this time, I, I made friends with a, a guy uh, in my unit that I had never spoken a word to 
in, in the, the previous uh, few years that I was in. Um, but we were, we were both in college. And that's, that's kind of a thing when you're an enlisted man in the Army. The, uh, the college guys tend to congregate and the, the guys that aren't in college kind of look down on the guys in college. And, and it's a whole thing. So, so we, we uh, gravitated towards each other because of that. And um, uh, his name was Mike. And uh, we became fast friends. So uh, that following week when uh, uh, the rest of the unit was there, we had these ammunition stockpiles that we had to, to guard because that, that, that was the real mission of our unit. We were an ammo unit. We would uh, you know, make sure that ammunition was distributed to all of the other units. And, and there, were, there were a lot of uh, other, other units up there. Um, I don't know how many, but uh, it was U.S. Army Reserve and Guard units from all over the Northeast U.S. and Canadian Guard and Reserve units from all over Eastern Canada. And we all converged on this one spot. So just, you know, keep that in mind as, as you know, later on, why might we be visited? I, I got to think that if, if someone were watching and they had the capability, they had the technology to get from wherever they come from to, to where we, we are, to here on earth, they might notice a massive, you know, uh, troop movements. There were, you know, thousands of, of, of troops converging on this one spot. That might have been a trigger. So um, I think it was Tuesday of that second week. Um, so second week of August. We went up, uh, I think it was August 1st. So a week later, it was probably around um, August 9th or 10th, something like that. Um, so uh, I was tapped for guard duty. And, and we had three ammunition, what, what they call pads, which were uh, um, clearings in the woods, where they would they would stack up all the ammo, and that could it was you know bullets, probably not live rounds, but it could have been. Uh, more likely it was it was blanks because it was you know training exercise, uh, explosives. Um, there was a, a nuclear simulator which they they mentioned in unidentified. Uh, it, it's not not really a big deal. It's basically a fifty gallon drum with uh, I don't know like napalm or something in it, and they they light it and it makes a mushroom cloud. It's not, not radioactive or anything. There's nothing nuclear about it, but it looks like a mushroom cloud. So it's something that uh, you can uh, uh, identify a, a, a nuclear explosion if you ever see one. So um, huge stockpiles of ammo and they put them way out in the woods so that if one of them were to go up in, in flames, you know, it, it, there could be mass casualties if there were people nearby. So uh, they not only put them out in the woods, but they put them, um, I forget the actual distance, Mike, Mike might remember because he was an ammo guy, uh, but uh, they, um, they're either like a quarter to half a mile apart from each other. And this way, if one of those sites should explode, it doesn't catch the other ones uh, on fire and then you lose all of your, your uh, stock. So... Um, they, uh, they sent me out, um, it was probably a Tuesday night. Uh, it was 11 o'clock. My shift was a two-hour shift from 11 to 1. And I don't remember if Mike and I planned this or if we just both happened to be on the same shift. But we went out and, and um, um, I, I want to say we didn't plan it because I remember catching up to him on the way out to the, the guard shack where the, uh, there was like a non-commissioned officer in charge, the, the NCOIC. Uh, um, had like a little station there and he had, you know, lights and, and communications there. Um, 
which which was a, a commodity like we're out in the woods there was you know very little power out, out there we had it in the motor pole and the and the cooks had some power but other than that we were, we were you know using flashlights so um i remember catching up to mike on the way to the guard shack so i don't think we planned to be on the same shift um and then so we we went out there were three of us that we rode in uh, like a, do, do you guys have chevy blazers over there or it's like the tahoe now uh is that a like yeah, it's a I, know, I, know, I know what a Chevy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Big, yeah. big SUV, big two door SUV. Um, we we call them uh, Cut V's, uh, but it, it was a Chevy Blazer or, or what's now known as the Tahoe. And um, uh, so we 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 jump in the truck, we go out, and on the way out there, now you know I'm a little nervous. I'm 19 years old. Um, you know, it hadn't been too long since I had been sleeping with a nightlight. You know, I was a I was a kid. So uh, a little nervous about going out in the woods and, and you know, I, I was a hunter, uh, you know, outdoorsman. I'd done a lot of things outdoors, a lot of things at night outdoors, but still I'm out there. I know I'm going to be out there alone in the woods. Um, they had warned us that some, uh, you know, Canadian civilians would know that we're there and they might want to hop the fence and try to steal some ammo. So we had to be on guard. So, uh, you know, I, I, I say to Mike, Hey, we should check up on each other let's uh let's check in on each other every half hour now we we had these field phones that were uh set up and, and the way that uh that they work is it's it's a, a, a box with a phone you know, what you saw on unidentified wasn't really that that was um dramatized for for tv um they there were no buildings out there it was just uh um a clearing in the woods and a big stack of ammo in the middle and the phones that we had were, were like these boxes that I want to say are about a foot long by maybe six, eight inches wide, maybe, uh, you know, eight, 10 inches tall. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's a box with a, a, a phone receiver, like, like, um, you know, like, like this, a box with one of these on it. And, um, and they're strung together by copper wire that is actually unspooled and they, 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 they'll unspool the wire through the woods the entire distance. So, you know, if I'm on the last site, that wire strung, and this was all set up, you know, the previous week, that wire was strung probably a mile or two back to the, to the guard shack, the command shack. So um, if you want to talk to someone on, there's no numbers, you don't dial any phone numbers, you just pick it up and it's always live. And uh, if you want to call uh, somebody, you turn a little crank and it makes a noise and everyone on the line picks up their phone. But if you want to, if you want to talk to someone without like have a private conversation, you can just agree on a time. And since the phones are always live, you just pick it up. And if somebody's on it, you can talk. So that's what Mike, Mike and I plan um, every half hour on the half hour. Let's just pick up our phones and check in on each other, see how things are going. He's, you know, he was cool with that. So, uh, 11 o'clock, we get dropped off. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I get out of the truck and the guy who's there gets back in and I take his spot. So we're in, uh, now, now I'm you know, by myself in, in, um, in, uh, the, uh, in, in this clearing and, uh, it's, it's about an acre, um, large. So about, uh, 200 something by 200 something feet. Uh, completely cleared uh, uh, soil is, is, you know, packed down. There's no, no grass. Uh, it's just like rough, rough soil and rocks. Um, 
like like a dirt road, but but you know an acre uh, in in uh, uh, square square uh, uh, distance, um, and off in so if you're if you're coming from the the, the command shack, I'm off in the back. So I'm going to turn around now. I'm I'm in the back right corner but I'm facing back towards the, uh, the command shack. So from where I'm sitting, I'm in, I'm in the back left corner of, of the clearing and I'm looking back towards where I came from and I'm sitting on a little bench that I call a contractor's bench, because if you've ever been on a construction site, you'll see that sometimes some of the contractors will just like quick cut a, a, you know, a few pieces of rough lumber and slap them together and make a little bench out of it. So it was like that. It was like a little makeshift, bench that someone probably built in about five minutes. I'm sitting on my bench. I've got my uh, M16 rifle in my lap and uh, there's no ammunition. And uh, the reason we weren't given ammo is because a few years earlier when my unit was there, uh, there hadn't been a, a, a theft. And it was when my dad and one other guy were on duty and the guy who, who he was with, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, um, but he was authorized to carry a pistol. So that might give you some idea of, of uh, his rank. Uh, and that guy fired his pistol at the, uh, the thieves. That could have created an international incident. You know, the U.S. and Canada are very close, but that would have been a big deal if a U.S. soldier shot uh, a Canadian civilian. So because of that uh, incident, uh, when we went back in 92, we were, we were not allowed to have any live ammo, which, which is a little scary because I'm out here, I'm guarding all this ammunition and explosives. I have a weapon. If somebody really wants that stuff, they see me, they, they, they might want to take a shot. So I'm thinking about that this whole time here. I'm, sit, I'm a sitting duck, and the best I can do is scare somebody off and then get on the field phone and call for help and maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll send an ambulance. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm sitting out there, I'm scanning the woods, I'm looking around and, and it, it was, I was fortunate that it was um, either a full moon or nearly a full moon. The moon was very bright, not a cloud in the sky. And the area around me was all lit up like it was daytime from the moon, just from the moon. And, and maybe the stars helped. I don't know. Um, I couldn't see into the trees, but, uh, um, you know, I could see everything around me. So um, sitting there, I'm looking around, looking around, you know, 20 minutes go by. And um, I feel the, the hair in the back of my neck go up. And I, I get the sense that somebody's watching me. And if you've ever um, woken up, uh, you know, from you know your your sleep, and 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 you wake up because somebody's watching you, like, and then and then you look, and maybe one of your kids is standing in the doorway, or you know, a spouse, a sibling, somebody somebody's staring at you while you're sleeping, and that's what wakes you. It was like that kind of thing. Like I felt like someone was was watching me. And I, I also felt kind of compelled to look up to like the, the one o'clock uh, position. But I also, you know, I'm on guard, literally. So uh, I think maybe there's maybe there's a distraction. Maybe if I look that way, something behind me is, is coming after me. 
So I first look over my left shoulder to make sure there's nothing in the woods. I'm right up against the woods and, and I want to make sure there's nothing behind me. And then, and, and now as, as I'm turning back towards, towards uh, the, the front, I, I can see like the hair on my arms, um, just my right arm is, is like standing up. And this was, you know, this is the second week of August. So in, in Canada, it's already started to, to get a little chilly then. And um, I remember yeah, my uh, sleeves of my, my uh, uniform were, were rolled up. And I had been thinking before that about pulling them down because all the hair on my arm was, was flat against my arm to, to, to stay warm. That's how, how chilly it was. It was probably in the, I want to say the high 50s or low 60s. So I had been thinking about pulling my sleeves down, but I, it's kind of a pain in, in the butt to, to roll them up and you have to make them look nice. So I, I didn't do that. So that's why I, I, I was aware that now the hair on my arm is standing up and, and uh, it could feel like a charge in the air. And I look up to that one o'clock position where I was, I was compelled to look up that way. I can't explain it any other way. And this, I don't believe in, in like paranormal, supernatural, any kind of stuff like that there had to be a scientific reason for this, but I, I, I knew to look up to that one o'clock position. And so there up, up, um, kind of, um, diagonal to, to where I was in, in that, in that other opposite corner, just over the tree line is this enormous spaceship. And I knew, I knew at once what I was looking at. And I think it was just hovering there at first, um, for a few moments, it may have been moving slowly, but my, my, you know, my memory, it's just hovering there, uh, at first. And, um, it was unlike any, anything that I had ever seen it. And I was, you know, when the, the first, first time I spoke with Lou Elizondo a couple of years ago, he used the term that I had never heard before, but, but made sense as soon as I heard it, he said I was a trained observer. And what that means is that I had, uh, received training in identifying various types of aircraft, uh, as part of, part of my military training. And they, they do that so that you don't accidentally shoot down the wrong, uh, the wrong planes. So we had these, uh, it was like, like a deck of playing cards, um, the same size and shape as playing cards, except instead of numbers and, and, you know, uh, face cards, uh, they were the silhouettes of us and Soviet block aircraft. So, I could identify at the time, I couldn't do this anymore, but at the time I could identify any type of U.S. or Soviet block aircraft just from its silhouette. I wouldn't even have to see the full thing, just the shape of it. And I knew right away this was no type of aircraft in, in any of the two major powers arsenals. Um, there, were, there were no uh, wings, no tail fin, no uh, propellers or uh, rotor, no jet engines. No, no visible means of propulsion. It was completely silent. It had three huge um, rectangular-shaped lights around the front of it that uh, I've never been able to figure out if, if they were um, uh, like headlights or spotlights or windows. And someone actually just mentioned this on uh, uh, a Facebook group that, I, that I'm on um, who, who uh, you know, saw the, the, the illustration that I had made of it and was asking about it. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know if they were, I, I suspect they were either head, like some kind of lights, uh, to headlights or something, uh, or they were windows, but, but I, you know, couldn't see inside and they were extremely bright. It was like a, 
like an orangish yellow type of uh, light. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if, you, if um, you're old enough to remember this, uh, at least here, here in the U.S., the, the street lamps, um, when I was a kid, they were a different color. Now they're all white. When I was a kid, they, were, they had like an orangish kind of hue to them. Um, and, and so it was like that, but, but extremely bright. And so, uh, but yet here's the weird thing about that. They, they were so bright, but they didn't seem to light up the area. Like you would expect something as bright as they were, like the, the light didn't shine. It didn't, it didn't light up anything in front of it. So, um, it's, I don't, I'm not sure what the purpose of, of it was, but so I'm, I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, I, I know immediately this is not something of, of, of this, of earth. This is not a, a, and that's why, you know, and some other, other folks have asked me about this. Um, and it'd be a, the blog article that I um, responded to the other day uh, for uh, punk rock and UFOs. Uh, he said, you know, you, you, you weren't afraid to use the term alien spaceship. And, and I think that's a really important um, uh, observation because so many people in, 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 in this, you know, ufology and, and, you know, the, um, especially the, the folks on unidentified, they, uh, they're cautious about, uh, creating a stigma of using the term UFO, uh, or, um, you know, jumping to a conclusion that it was from another planet. I'm not afraid to do that because I know that it wasn't, yeah, that we're, we're at a military base. There would have been no civilian aircraft there. It would have to be something military, and this was not something in, in, in our arsenal, and uh, or or the enemy arsenal at the time. Um, and uh, uh, we hadn't seen it on the battlefield ever since then. So you would think, almost thirty years ago, if there was something that looked like a spaceship from another planet that could hover silently, that could move very slowly, uh, that could um, uh, um, I, I mean, no, no, no visible means of propulsion, clearly, uh, an alien spaceship, if we had that kind of technology, uh, it, it would have been used in, in the battlefield. And at some point in the last 30 years, um, you know, we, 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 view, we use whatever comes out, whatever we have available, we, we immediately deploy it, uh, and try to use it. So, um, so should I continue on with the, the sighting? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Kind of off on a tangent here. No, listen, uh, I'm sure the listeners are a bit like myself at this point where I've got it all. You're painting a really nice picture, and in my head I'm, I'm there. I've, I've had, the, had the, the hairs on my arm kind of went up at one point as well. So you, you've got me in the scene, so absolutely. And just, yeah. just to, um, to point out, I, I'm not that young. That uh, In Glasgow, where I'm from, the streetlights <laughs> famously um, are orange, and I think they might still be because when you look out over Glasgow at night, it's still got an orange glow to the whole city. Um, so yeah, but I had the orange streetlights as well. Yeah, and, and here here in the U.S., I first noticed. I want to say this was in the mid '90s um, when, when I, I flew out of Los Angeles to, to New York. Um, I, I first noticed that some of the the lights were white, and I, I remember thinking how odd that was because I had always remembered as a kid, you know, that the, the cities were were orange at night, and 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 now when when you fly, you notice all the cities are white mm -hmm. at night, but they used to be orange. So um, it was a similar type of light on, on the front of this thing. Um, so I'm sitting there 
and uh, it's moving slowly. Like if I say one mile an hour, that, that might be fast. I don't know. Uh, it was just creeping along and I feel this charge in the air. And um, now immediately, since, since I immediately knew what it was and what was happening, all these thoughts are rushing through my head. Um, you know, I can't move because if I do, uh, they're going to see me and, and uh, they're going to beat me up or exactly with, with a death ray. You know, like every science fiction movie I've ever seen is now going through my head. And um, meanwhile, in hindsight, of course, they knew I was there. They had to. They were they were they were observing this ammo uh, cache. They 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 were I felt a charge. They had to be scanning it with some kind of uh, like an X-ray or something. It's you know probably much more advanced than that. But uh, they, they were they were checking out our capabilities. So they had to know I was there, but I didn't realize that at the time. All I'm thinking is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here with my, my rifle and I'm like, I can't move. And so um, I'm watching this thing. I'm afraid to even like turn my head. So as it's coming by me, I'm, I'm like looking with my eyes until my eyes are straight to the point where it's, I'm in pain from, from, you know, looking to the right. And so I really very slowly turn my head just enough so that I can, I can keep it in sight. And I'm watching this thing for several minutes, um, glued to my bench because it's, it's right there. You know, it, when it starts out, uh, it's maybe a hundred yards from me, uh, you know, a hundred meters for international, uh, listeners. Um, and then, you know, because it's, it's kind of going along the side of the, the clearing, when it gets to, my end of the clearing, it's maybe within 200 feet of me, really close. So I'm petrified, scared to death, and uh, all sorts of, of like wild ideas go through my head about what, what this thing might can do. I, can I ask yeah. one question? Because literally, what I, again, I've got it in my head and I can see the thing going past. Where does it come from, though? So when it's came into your field of vision, has it came up from the tree line? Has it come in from the side? You know, I, I, I never knew. And, and uh, when, I, when I first started to, to piece this thing together and, and write down an account of it, which was probably, I want to say I wrote down the first version of this maybe um, four, four years after it happened. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, I've never, I've, I, I have no memory ever of the thing coming from anywhere. I had imagined that it may have risen up from uh, a pond that we had been bathing in uh, the previous weeks. We had no shower facilities there. Um, you know, that, uh, the advanced party, it was, it was just like us and some trucks and, and, you know, had very little for, for like we were eating MREs. They were like packaged uh, meals ready to eat. So uh, we, were, we were bathing in uh, a big pond. Meanwhile, this pond was like filled with, with like, you know, as oil slicks and it was, it was probably like, we probably all got cancer from it. But, uh, um, so I imagined that it had, this thing had risen from the pond flat fast forward to uh, two years ago when unidentified first started because unidentified was initially considering me for season one. So I, I've been talking to them for a couple of years now and they wanted me to do it a lot of due diligence for them. So, I um, was looking at maps of Gagetown, trying to figure out exactly, you know, where, where this, this happened. 
And what I realized was that for like, you know, two and a half decades, my aspect was, was flipped around. I thought that the ship came up uh, on, on the North, but it was actually on the South. So uh, it didn't come up from the pond. Um, and I think it, I, I can't explain where it came from. It was just there. Um, maybe, maybe it kind of, you know, crept up to, to that spot slowly. Maybe it was cloaked. Maybe it, I don't know. It, it was just there. Uh, when, when I looked up, it, it wasn't there. And then it was there. Um, and, and I didn't see it like, like blip, like in, in come into focus or anything. It, 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 I, I was looking away and when I looked back, it was there. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's going by very, very slowly. And, um, you know, while this is going on, I've got time to think, contemplating the rest of my life, which who knows how long that's going to be at at that, at that time. And I'm thinking uh, already at that time, you know, what am I going to do about this? Who am I going to tell? Nobody's going to believe me. Um, You know, I was a a little bit of a, 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 I've got a sense of humor, so I'm always cracking a joke. Uh, People are going to think I'm I'm, uh, joking about this. Um, you know, all, all these thoughts about what, what's, what's going to come of this. Uh, so finally it's the, the ship is getting to a point where it's starting to, um, go past me, like to, to come out of my, my field of vision. And I know that if I want to keep watching this thing, I've got to get up off this bench and, and I'm scared to death. I, I, I don't want to get off the bench. I feel like, like I'm in a, kind of a, like, like almost like a, like, um, like a shelter, even though I'm out in the open, but I'm against the tree line and I'm, you know, I'm wearing camouflage, uh, uh uniform. Um, and I didn't want them to see me, but at this point, I, I, I think if, if I don't get up and keep watching this thing, it's possible it could circle back around and, and, and like come over me. Uh, and I, I don't want to let it out of my sight. So I, I finally, work up the courage to walk out into the, um, the, the, the clearing and then uh, walk out towards the, the road. Cause the dirt road that we came in on is, is along the edge of the clearing and then it continues on in either direction. So I walk out towards the road and then um, I continue watching this thing. And the entire uh, encounter was probably five to seven minutes long. And I know that because I had been, watching my watch before, before this started, I've been watching my watch to make sure I wouldn't miss the call with Mike. Uh, so that's why I know it happened probably around 1120 ish. And, um, you know, when the whole thing, uh, when I finally went back to the bench, it was, uh, 1127. But so there, there were a few minutes there where I walked out to the road and I continued watching it, uh, go away. And I think it picked up a little bit of speed once it had left uh, my area, but still traveling incredibly slowly. You know, maybe, maybe it got up to five or 10 miles an hour. I, you know, it was traveling very slowly. And, and so because it was so bright out, um, I was able to see the, the entire ship, uh, except for its, uh, if you want to say like a car, like, a, well, the U.S. car driver's side, the left side, uh, if, if, you're, if you're in it traveling in, in, you know, forward, it would be, I didn't see the left side, 
but I saw it, its right side, the front and the back because it was, it was so bright out. And that's why I was able to have that illustration made uh, with, with uh, a lot of certainty. Um, it's not a hundred percent exactly the way I saw, but it's really close. It's close enough that I don't want to bother the artist to kind of, you know, fine tune it anymore. And can I just uh, ask, you know, the, the, yeah. the illumination at the front, the orange lights, that was a window, it could have been headlights, it could have been whatever, yeah. we don't know. Was that moving forward? Was that at the front of the craft? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so the, the, what, what you see in the illustration is I'm looking at its, uh, the, the profile, the, the side, its right side view, because that's the, that's the side that came by me. But uh, when I first saw it, it was kind of like at a diagonal in front of me. So I was able to see the entire front of the ship. And then as it passed by and I went out to the road, I was able to see the whole back of it. So it was um, the, clo- the closest recognizable shape I-, I can say is it was like a flattened egg, except that it was really more the bottom part. Like if, if you just flatten the bottom part of an egg, um, the, the top part was still like a little, what was it convex? It, like it, it went up to almost like an angle, but like a rounded angle uh, in, I want to say the first quarter of the, the ship and then gently sloped back towards the tail. And, um, uh, and then the, 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 the back of it was slight, also slightly tapered around, um, you know, from front to back so that it was a little thinner in the back than it was up front. Uh, very streamlined. Um, no, no seams anywhere, no rivets or, or any, any, uh, you know, parts that came together. Um, <clears throat> it was like, um, I want to say like a gunmetal gray, although I was thinking about this this morning that as, as it, it, um, flew away, if, if I hadn't already known it was there, I wouldn't have noticed it because the color was very similar to the night sky. Um, you know, right next to me, it was grayish, but often in the distance, it really blended in with, with the, the night sky very well. It was well camouflaged. Um, and if you were looking at it the right way, you could still see a little bit of those, um, the, the, the lights up front, uh, from, from the, the back, like it was, it came around, I want to say in about the 120 degree arc around the front of it. Um, what else can I tell you? Well, listen, I mean, that's, that's the event itself, but, that, yeah. and, and thank you because that is, uh, the, 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 jo- the beauty of doing this kind of format is that you do get a chance to hear that in a much longer kind of how it happened, yeah. you know, what you were feeling than that couple of minutes you get on TV, which is great. So th- thanks very much for that. What happened after that though? Because then you, yeah. you've now had this experience and like I've said before to listeners to the podcast, uh, when I've had two pretty, what you would call spectacular sightings, you know, not just a dot in the sky, two objects that could make out shape and size and there were other people who saw them as well. And it is really strange that you, you see this, you have this little moment in your life where this incredible thing happens and then you go on living your life after it. Like yeah. both, of, both of mine, I went home after one, the more recent one I spoke to you about just before we started recording, I was driving home from work. Other people saw this driving along a kind of country road, six o'clock in the evening. Um, it was dark, but like you say, black triangle uh, against the night sky, you wouldn't have seen it was there. 
other than two points of light on either side of it, which allowed you to kind of make out the shape against the sky. Otherwise, it would have blended in perfectly. Um, but I just went home and had my tea and spoke to my wife, spoke to my kids, and you, you go you go on about normal life after having this incredible experience. Obviously, you don't just go home after it. You're you're out there guarding, you know, this this ammunition. So from there, what was the kind of the next kind of steps that happened? Yeah. Okay. So so uh, I'll give you the immediate aftermath, and then the next, you know, uh, the, the the real brief synopsis of the next, you know, twenty seven years, and then what's happened since then. So, um, eleven around eleven twenty seven. Uh, you know, I'm still watching this thing very slowly drift off, but I know that very soon I've got to get on the phone with Mike and check in with him. And I got to, I got to find out, did he see this too? And also now I'm, I'm out on the road, I'm feeling a little bit exposed because the whole time prior to this happening, uh, I'm glued to that bench. And, and the reason is because I want to make sure that if anyone is trying to steal some ammo uh, I get the jump on them. I'm, I'm, I'm not like walking around and, and being a visible target. I'm, I'm sitting there kind of in stealth mode. So I'm feeling exposed out here in the road. And even though now looking back, I wish I had continued to watch this thing for a few more minutes until my, my call with Mike. Um, I, I went back to the safety of the bench, what I, what I felt was the safety of the bench and uh, looked at my watch and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, the whole time this is happening, I'm, I'm panicked. I'm like, I'm like in shock. I'm, you know, hearts racing. Um, so I, I go back and I'm, I'm sitting there and you know, I'm looking at my feet. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, trying to calm down, watching my watch. And finally, uh, 1130, uh, comes around. I pick up the phone and I go, Mike, is that you? He goes, yeah. And I go, did you see that? And he goes, thank God, you said something. And um, I realized, you know, that, that he had seen something too. Now, at that time, I just assumed that he saw exactly what I saw. Because, I mean, why, why not? Um, I didn't realize until um, two years ago when Unidentified uh, wanted me to track him down that he saw something a little bit different. So I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when I catch up to that point in time. So, um, he, uh, so we talked for a few minutes, um, you know, we, we both agreed we had seen an alien spaceship. Um, you okay? Yeah. You okay? Fine. You know, we're, we're all good. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll catch up again, uh, you know, on the next call. So, um, finally one o'clock rolls around and, uh, the truck comes to drop off another guard and pick me up. Mike's already in the truck because he was at site number one. I'm at site number three. So uh, I get, I get in the truck and uh, Mike's already been talking about this with the driver and the other, the other uh, guys in the truck. Um, So uh, apparently the guy at site number two never saw a thing. Mike saw something. guy, uh, guard number two saw nothing. I saw this full spaceship. The driver is uh, uh, totally uh, not not doubting this for one second, but this is a guy who, uh, you know, I, I come to find out, uh, you know, reads the National Enquirer, um, 
you know, he's, uh, he's one of the, one of those guys that, that, you know, probably believed in everything. So, you know, he hears a story like this and he's like, Oh yeah, of course. You know, they, they say there's a lot of these sightings around military bases. I hear that all the time. And I had never heard anything like that before. This is 1992. There was no, uh, you know, internet, there was no, um, you know, uh, very little on cable TV about stuff like this. So I, I didn't know anything about this subject. So he's like, tell me, he's like, you know, confirming this. Uh, uh, oh yeah, it's a big thing. They, they see these things around military bases all the time. So I'm feeling pretty good about it, even though guard number two is kind of like laughing at us already. He's like the first one to start heckling us. Um, we get back to the guard shack and uh, I'm still like talking to the driver. We're, you know, BSing uh, and, and talking a little bit about what happened. And uh, Mike goes into the, into the guard shack to, um, you know, report this to the, the NCO in charge. And um, they're in there for a few minutes. And uh, I didn't get the full story on this until, you know, a couple of years ago, but uh, Mike comes out and, and, you know, nothing happened. Um, the, uh, the NCO IC didn't want to hear, hear anything about it. There, so no official report was ever filed because Mike was just immediately shot down told, you know, get the hell out of my, my shack. And, uh, and that was that. Were, but, were you surprised uh, at that? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I was because, uh, you know, like I said, when it was happening, I, I knew immediately, like, this is unbelievable and people aren't, aren't going to believe it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already in, in, in that moment, you know, this several minutes that are going by, thinking about what am I going to do about this and what are, how are people going to react to this? So I already, I already kind of knew like, this is, this is a crazy story. This is an unbelievable story and people aren't going to believe it. So I wasn't surprised that, that Mike was basically kicked out of the card shack. Um, and then the next day word spread very quickly and uh, people were, were walking up to us and, and uh, you know, ridiculing us. And I, I wouldn't say it was, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't to the point of what I would call bullying, but it was definitely a lot of people having, uh, uh, having fun at our expense. And it even got to the point where Mike uh, later just completely recanted the story. He started telling people, no, 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 we didn't see anything uh, because he just couldn't take it. I, I guess a little bit thicker skin. Uh, it didn't bother me that much, but I still stopped talking about it. Um, you know, didn't, didn't tell any people about it. Um, I, I think I told my dad about it, but, uh, you know, years later he didn't seem to recall that conversation. Um, I don't remember if I reported it to my, my own chain of command. Um, if I did, it was probably just, uh, you know, anecdotally, like, Hey, we saw a UFO, you know, past the, the coffee. Um, I, I, there was no official report just because I, I, I just, I knew it was, it was just a crazy story. Um, so, um, so nothing happened. That was it. We, we completed our, our, uh, you know, the next two weeks of, uh, training packed up in my home. Uh, when I got back, so I was living in Plattsburgh, New York at the time. And, and this was, uh, going into, um, this is, I was, I, I, I took five years for school because uh, my, some of my army training caused me to miss a, a semester of school. So I, I just took one extra semester. So 
I was going into my third of five years of, of uh, school and um, uh, I was in a fraternity, which I don't know if you guys have these uh, where, where you are. It's like a, a club for men. Yeah, we, we don't uh, really have them in the UK so much, but we see enough American movies to, to yeah. know what they are. Yeah, yeah so I was, I was in a men's club um, called a fraternity. And uh, a fraternity, you're very close with the other members. We call each other brothers, um, which is good and bad because, you know, if you have a brother, you know that, that your, your brother is your, your biggest ally and your biggest uh, enemy at times. They, they he'll, like, he knows how to get under your skin, and he will. Um, so I, I don't think I told this to any of my fraternity brothers because I knew I, I would get, you know, some ridicule from that. And I even spoke with one of them um, a week or two ago, I wrote a blog article about this that I, I caught up with this guy that I was in school with. who was a very close friend for, for many years. And he had no recollection of me ever mentioning this. Um, and, and if anyone was going to hear about it, he would have been one of maybe like the, the, the three to five inner circle guys that would have heard about it. So I don't think I mentioned this to another soul until, um, and, and and I mean may, maybe there was a girlfriend, um, but I'm not in touch with any any uh, any old girlfriends, so I can't ask any of them. But I don't think I mentioned this to anyone until I want to say it was um, the late '90s, uh, and and, and uh, I could look this up and, and find the the, the year uh, if if I had to. But I want to say '98, '99, somewhere around there. Uh, I was with my cousin, his girlfriend, and my dad, and um, I mentioned it. And uh, I think it was the first time I had ever, I, ever told anyone because I remember that at the time, uh, it was I was suddenly transported back to that moment where I was sitting on on that little bench in the woods, and. Um, I realized, you know, uh, now that I was experiencing PTSD because uh, I, I felt that same terror that I had felt when this thing was, you know, 200 feet away from me. And um, uh, um, my eyes, you know, filled up with, with water. I didn't actually uh, uh, shed a tear, but my eyes were, you know, I could feel that my eyes were filled with water. It was, it was that traumatic recounting this, this story years later. For whatever it was, uh, five, six years later, six, seven, whatever, uh, however long it was. And, um, and I remember my, my cousin's girlfriend telling me, um, that like, I can tell like something definitely happened to you because I can, I can see it in your face. I, I can, you know, this, you're, you're not making this up. Um, I don't know if she actually believed that I saw what I saw but she believed that I saw something and, and that I believed that I saw what I saw. So um, still, you know, remain guarded about this is not something I told people about, um, you know, generally uh, always like a, a few very close friends and family uh, over the years. So um, I would say it was about four or five years ago. I started to get a little bit more comfortable with telling the story Um and I had a, a close friend that, that I would talk about uh, with once in a while. And I think he was a little skeptical that he would say um, things like, you know, if this happened to me, I'd be telling everyone I, I, I know about it. Uh, this is a big deal. If this really happened, you know, this is, this has so many, so many consequences. I'd be telling everyone. And I'm like, 
and, and then what? Like you, you're going to be that crazy UFO guy who's out there, you know, uh, you know, with the, the sign, you know, standing on a soapbox uh, preaching the, the end is nigh. Uh, I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, you know, uh, at, at this point now, so this is, you know, uh, if it was uh, four or five years ago, um, I'm a successful business owner. Um, I was, uh, I'd either just uh, gotten my uh, master's in business, uh, my MBA, or was about to, um, you know, I got three kids I'm, I'm a pillar of the community. I'm not going to be that guy who's out there shouting about UFOs. And it's just, uh, you don't do that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that feel that way. It's like, uh, I'm not going to be that tinfoil hat guy. Uh, I've got a reputation and, I'm, and, and it's not worth destroying that. Uh, so, you know, my, my wife had always known about it and, and she, she had an experience of her own when she was a, a teenager that, you know, that two other witnesses were there that corroborated it. Uh, so she was always open to, um, you know, the validity of this, never questioned it. Um, and, you know, a few close friends here and there, uh, but um, still not really uh, public about, about the, the story. And uh, then in, I guess it was the, the fall of 2017 when Lou Elizondo left uh, his, his government job and uh, the story broke in the New York Times about ATIP and, and um, you know, everything that Elizondo was involved with and to the Stars Academy. Um, it wasn't immediate after that story came out, but the following spring, uh, my sister-in-law who knew about my story read the New York Times article online forwarded a link to my wife and my wife forwarded me the link and I read the story and you know um, I don't know how much people can really appreciate what a different landscape it is as far as ufology today compared to even three years ago um, because no one was no one in mainstream media was talking about this three years ago um, it was still like relegated to the inquirer and you know tabloids you know, so, I'll make a point on that because it's really, really relevant. One of my yeah. listeners mentioned the other day that we're actually at a point now that we maybe don't appreciate because of the whole, you know, Twitter generation and Facebook and so much information is available that people now are disappointed if there's no UFO news over a couple of days. Whereas there was a period of time where nothing happened for months or years. You know, yeah. that was even with the advent of the internet and, and, you know, magazines and everything. It was the same stories. It was, you know, Roswell and going back way before the Phoenix Lights, the Betty and Barney Hill case, it was the same couple of things that were always brought up. Whereas yeah. now we literally have on a daily basis, you know, has the president mentioned it? You know, are the Russians mentioning it? Chinese yeah. news is talking about it. You've got Two of the Stars Academy, which now is, you know, picking up more and more and more pace, the TV shows, and they've got all these other things coming out and in the works that we don't appreciate where we're living in right now. And like you were saying, three years, a lot has happened, a hell right. of a lot. So yeah, you're, you're totally right on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I took notice when when my wife sent me this article, and and she she sent me a lot of stuff, and some of it I'll I'll, I'll like read the first few paragraphs. Some of it I just read the headline, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, but I took notice when she sent me this, and and um, uh, I read the full article, and I I just remember thinking at at the time, just like, wow, you know. Now, for years and years and years. Um, I had wondered, why does nobody seem to care about this? And um, 
1996, I got my first personal computer. You know, I had, in, in college, I had used uh, uh, computers in the, in the computer lab at school and, um, you know, never had a need for my own computer. Uh, so 96, I decided I'm going to buy my, my first computer. And I, I got one of those AOL America online discs um, in the mail that they, they, they seem to like come 10 per day for, for, you know, years. And I put that on a computer and I got on America online and uh, I uh, uh, started searching for UFO reporting. And I found, uh, I don't remember if it was MUFON or New Fork. Um, I know at some point I filed reports on both of those sites. Um, but I, I filed a report on one of those sites. And I thought, you know, uh, this, this is great. I've finally been able to report this uh, to someone af after, you know, four years. Uh, you know, my phone number was in there. Can't wait till somebody calls or emails me so I can, I can tell my story. And then nothing, nothing happened. And then, so, you know, like, I don't know how much time went by after that, but eventually I filed a, a report on the other site, whichever one of the two I didn't do the first time and nothing happened. So, uh, you know, two decades later, I get this, this article about Lou Elizondo and I'm thinking, wow, finally, here's somebody who can do something with this information. And I thought it was really important to get it out there to someone because I, I just, I kept thinking about how this thing had flown over a military base and nobody seemed to care. It was checking out our capabilities. It was observing the ammunition stockpile that I was guarding. Nobody cared. We tried to file a report. No one wanted to hear about it. So, um, you know, here, here's a guy who is the guy that I've been wanting to talk to for over 25 years. I got to get to this guy. I got to, I got to find him. I got to track him down. Um, I have a knack for that kind of thing because, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before, uh, probably before you started recording, uh, that I'm in the staffing business. Um, I find jobs for people. And part of that is it's a sales role. I got to, you know, find out who's the right person to, to, to get in touch with and I can track people down. I can get to people. So, um, so I tracked Lou down and I sent him an email and, uh, and then nothing, I don't hear back from him. And, uh, this is, you know, sometime in, I want to say late spring of 2018. And, um, uh, it, I think, oh, great. It fell into a black hole again. Uh, and then finally, uh, I get, um, I get a message back from, from to the stars Academy and they're like, uh, you know, interested in, in, you know, hearing uh, about your story. Can you provide some more details? Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I wrote back and I gave him, some, you know, the story that I told you. Um, and, uh, um, and then again, nothing. A black hole. Don't hear anything. And so it was, it was about a month uh, after, after I had first uh, contacted uh, them before they wrote back the first time. And then about another month went by after that. And uh, I remember I, I, uh, I went out to a doctor's appointment one morning. I think this was in, in uh, June of 2018. I went to a doctor's appointment. Uh, so I was away from home for a, a good part of the day. And I got back and I want to say it was around four o'clock or so in the afternoon. I decided, let me check my, my uh, email, my, my voice messages. So I'm, I'm running a business, you know, I work, I work from home, but uh, I'm running, running this business. 
uh, let me check in. I, I shouldn't be taking a whole day off now. Um, so I check my uh, voicemail on my email and uh, I've got uh, a message. It says, hi, this is Luis Lou Elizondo. Uh, you know, uh, want to hear more about your story. Here's my cell phone number. Give me a call. So now I'm, I'm really excited because, wow, this is the guy from the New York Times article. And he's, he's calling me back. I can't wait to talk to this guy. So I, uh, I gave Lou a call and, um, and we talked, I want to say for a good hour. And uh, this is when he, he used that term uh, um, trained observer. And um, he's, he said, this is, and this is curious. I don't know if I've mentioned this to anyone before, but um, other than maybe my wife, he said he had already um, uh, vetted me out a little bit. I don't know what, what that meant because uh, um, I don't know, did he like do a background check or did he like, does he have people? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that meant, but he said that he had already vetted me out a little bit. Um, so we had a good conversation and then he said he was going to put me in touch with somebody named Jessica. I didn't know who Jessica was. I thought maybe that was his, like his admin assistant or, or something. Um, so I thought I would get a call right away from, from Jessica and then nothing happened again. Another, like another month went by and I didn't hear from anyone. And then finally I got an email from, uh, Jessica and, uh, Hey, this is Jessica Phillips. Um, you know, with, uh, A&E networks, um, you know, give me a call. So it turns out Jessica was a pretty big deal. Uh, she's, you know, one of the producers of, of unidentified, um, you know, right, right alongside with, uh, Anthony LaPay. And, um, you know, she had all kinds of street cred. She was uh, embedded with the U S army when, when they took back, uh, Mosul, um, you know, like really, um, they, they, they put me in touch with her because there was great concern with season one about making sure that the, um, the folks that they were talking to felt comfortable. They knew when I say they, I mean Lou to the Stars Academy, A&E uh, producers. They knew that um, most of us, if not all of us, had faced some ridicule while, you know, uh, on duty. Uh, that there was a lot of hesitancy to talk about about the subject. Um, I didn't hesitate at all because I had been waiting at that time 27 years to tell the right people about this story. So I was very excited to tell the story, but not everyone was. Uh, so um, so they, they were really concerned about um, making sure I was comfortable with them. Um, and so, you know, from there, I, I don't know how, how much more detail you want about uh, how things took off with Unidentified. Um, yeah, I, I was eventually on, on uh, season two. Yeah, and and I'll definitely circle back to that um, coming around to it. So that's that's awesome as well, and it's it's great hearing that journey of how these things happen. It's not just yeah, here's Lou Elizondo, can you come in tomorrow interview, and that's yeah. it done. So there, there's a whole process and a, a, a way, and something I'm sure Ryan will speak to you about on his podcast is is the human element of these things as well, and it all plays a part of it. This is a 27 year journey for yourself. It's you know it happened in seven minutes back in 1992, but it's taken you to what, 2019, 2020 before you've managed to get the story out there. You know, I, I thought this would, I thought the story would die with me. 
that, and I remember uh, seeing uh, something on, on, I don't know what channel it was, but it was some kind of uh, UFO documentary. And they were talking to the, the, these old men in South America that had witnessed something when, when they were younger and I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be those guys. Maybe like I'm, I'm 90 years old and someone's going to ask me uh, uh, about my, my story, you know, uh, 70 years prior. Um, I never imagined that, you know, after a certain amount of time went by that anyone was, was going to pick this up and, and do anything with the information, you know? Yeah, and listen, I, I can feel that because there was a, a documentary that's it's a good few years old now, not one I've, I've necessarily seen much of, just given the tone it strikes and the people it speaks to. But it is based, it's UK based. And I got tagged in a WhatsApp group a couple of nights ago saying, Andy, you've got your podcast on UFOs. I'm guessing you'll be watching this. And it's just the type of thing that you don't want people seeing when you're when you've got the opinions and the interest that I do in this subject and someone like yourself who had this amazing experience, you know, there is something different out there. There's something else. You don't want to get silly with it. And you know, you're not going to talk about, you know, little green men coming from Venus. And I mean, it might've been little green men coming from Venus. You don't know, but you know, that's, that's just surmising, but it's one of those things where you're like, I don't want people seeing that type of content because it's not, it's not the subject and it's not the point. And I would rather watch something like Unidentified, which for me, it's no secret to listeners know I'm a fanboy for TTSA and the show, but it strikes the perfect tone. And especially in season two, there was 26 different testimonies, including yourself, I believe, across the, the eight episodes from airline pilots, you know, military pilots, you know, servicemen and women. These people, like you say, trained observers is what Lewis went for in this second season. Some people were disappointed there wasn't more videos of gimbals flying about and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that will come with time, more videos and longer videos, I've no doubt about that. But people really have to understand that people like yourself are on this show for a reason and you've seen what you have for a reason. And just getting to my point then, you, you talk about Mike. So Mike's a pseudonym that wasn't Mike's actual name, which you mentioned on the show. Is it, that, it actually is. It's it, it really is his, his name. Oh, is it? But, okay. But he he gave permission to use his first name, but not his last name. Right. Okay. I think it was the quotation marks around Mike when they aired it on the show. I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. So that's not his actual name. Yeah, that, and I think good. that was. I think that was just another way to kind of protect his identity. But it really is Mike. No, that that's that's fair. And you never slipped yeah. up then either because his name is actually Mike. So you know you're not going to call yeah. him by his his real name. Yeah. Do you? Or do you, or have you spoken to Mike since the series aired on the yeah. episode aired? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm glad you came back around to this. Uh, this is important. So, after, um, after that that next day, uh, after the sighting, when um, I, I circled back around with him then, and, and and I'm like, you know, what's you know, we were kind of like synced up on on uh, the aftermath of it. And that, that was when he told me, like, he, he was, you know, telling people it didn't happen now. Um, I stopped talking to him and, um, you know, basically avoided him for the next two weeks. And then when we got back to Plattsburgh, I don't remember uh, if, if we saw each other at, at our uh, monthly drills or not, but we, didn't, we, we never talked again. And it wasn't long after that that he uh, completed his enlistment uh, I want to say it was the following spring or when, you know, sometime that winter he completed his enlistment. Uh, so I never saw him at uh, reserve drills anymore. 
And then uh, not long after that, he finished college. And I never saw him around campus anyway. He was in a different program and, and you know, uh, 6,000 students on campus. I lived off campus. He lived at home with his family. So and I never would run into him anyway. So he graduated and that's it. Never saw him again. Now, over the years, uh, I, I did try to track him down a few times just because it, it's kind of, it, you know, a reconciliation needed to, to happen. I needed to, I needed to talk to somebody about this and uh, no better person than the other guy who was there who saw what I thought saw the same thing I did. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't track him down. And I tried for years. I tried, you know, uh, there was, uh, um, there used to be a chat uh, program online called ICQ. Or, you know, I remember finding a few people, this is, you know, before social media existed. I remember finding a few old friends there and, you know, I would do uh, searches on, on search engines before Google existed, before the term Googling somebody existed. I would search for people on whatever Yahoo, Alta Vista, whatever was available. Um, connect, couldn't find the guy. After social media came out, I, I, I tried to look for him on Facebook. I tried to find him on LinkedIn. Um, you know, whatever was available, I searched for the guy. Not all the time, but just, you know, maybe every few years. I thought, oh, let me, let me see if I can find that guy. Um, and uh, uh, couldn't track him down. So finally, when I was talking to, you know, uh, Jessica and, and some other producers uh, for Unidentified, they said, you know what, you should really try to find this guy, Mike, uh, because it uh, it's important that he's able to uh, corroborate some of this, this information. I said, I, I've been trying. I can't find the guy. I don't know. He's a ghost. He's got zero footprint online, which is hard to imagine these days. How, how could that be? But I, I, I do have some close friends that I'm in touch with that aren't on social media. They think it's, they think it's dumb. They think it's a waste of time. And uh, there's very little uh, about some of these friends online. It's not a, it's not a matter of like they're, um, you know, paranoid or anything like that. They, they just don't see the need. So it's, it's reasonable that, you know, Mike didn't have any social media accounts, but it was just strange that there was like zero footprint. The guy was a ghost. So um, when, when uh, Unidentified started to really, you know, um, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but highly encourage me to track Mike down. Uh, I um, uh, redoubled my efforts and um, I, I have a, a, a thick file of my military records and uh, I was going through them and um, I, I found my orders to go to Gagetown. I don't know why that's in there. I don't have orders for every place that I've ever been deployed to for, for training, but the Gagetown orders were in there and it listed the names of all the people that were, um, uh, that went at least uh, everyone that was on my page. They only, they give you one page, uh, and, and the names of the other people that are, uh, alphabetically close to yours are on that page. And there's Mike's name. And I realized I had been searching for, the wrong last name. Um, and, and, uh, there's, a. I, I don't want to say too much about this cause it'll, it'll reveal his last name, but there was a slight variation 
in the name that I was looking for versus what his name actually is. And when I saw that on the orders, I was like, oh my God, I've been looking for the wrong guy all these years. So finally had the right spelling of his name and I looked him up and still like no social media, very little footprint, but I found uh, a real estate transaction uh, record online that looked like it might've been him. And um, I had a friend who worked at the college we went to and a friend of a friend, like we, we know who each other are. are. Um, and I, I, I called this person up and said, Hey, I wanted to know if you could, you know, give me this guy's contact info and um, for privacy reasons was denied. Uh, but I said, well, is this information that I have correct? And I was able to get it verified, you know, since I already had some information, I was able to get a verification that that was the last known address. So, um, so I reached out and, uh, you know, I, I called the phone number that I had, went to, went to a voicemail and then no response. So I'm like, I don't know that I have the wrong guy again. Uh, you know, so I, I called back one, another one or two times. And finally, um, I don't remember if he picked up or if he called me back, but I, I got a hold of him. So it was 27 years later, um, you know, a, after, after I had decided not to talk to the guy anymore because he, he had backed down from, uh, from um, uh, what we saw, um, I finally reconnected with the guy. And it was only at this point that I, that I realized he didn't see exactly what I saw. And uh, because he was, he was, I want to say, maybe half a mile down the road at, at this other pad. Could have, it could have been more than that. It was a way, you know, ways down the road. And he was behind the ship because, remember, I was facing back towards the command shack. And so uh, sites number two and one were in the direction I was looking. The ship was coming my way. And so uh, he was behind it. So in, in, in now, only, only two years ago now, you know, 27 years after it happened, 26 years after it happened, I guess. Um, uh, now, only now do I get the full story of what Mike saw. And what he said was that uh, the way he described it, he only saw a little piece of one of those three lights that are around, around the front of the ship because he was behind it. He didn't see the full ship. He just saw part of that light. And um, it was so bright, he thought someone had shot a flare up into the air. If you've ever seen a military flare, maybe if you've watched some war movies, you, you know that when, when they, they sh they'll shoot a flare up in the air to light up a, a, a battlefield that night so they can see where the enemy is hiding. And, the, and then as soon as the flare goes up, every, it's, it's like the lights just came on and you can start shooting at people. Um, those flares, they have a parachute that deploys. So if it, you, you know, you've probably seen a road flare and those are like a, a, a pinkish kind of light, but the, the, uh, the aerial flares are more like an orangish kind of light. And so you shoot them up and they go way up in the air, parachute comes out and they slowly descend back to earth. So Mike thought uh, it was a flare and uh, he, he was, you know, a little bit concerned because we're guarding these highly explosive sites. What if the flare comes down and ignites some of this, uh, you know, ammunition or something? 
So he's watching it. He's watching and watching and watching. And the thing never descends, which you would expect after a few minutes, the, the, you know, the, the flavor fall back to earth and it never descends. So he's watching it this whole time. And I, I found out only two years ago that while we were on the phone, after I had stopped watching this thing, he was still watching it. And um, I think it was after we got off the phone that he then saw this thing shoot off into space in a streak of light, like, like you might see in, in you know, any, any movie where, where a, a ship can travel at light speed. They, they zoom off in a, in a streak of light. And he said, if I had blinked, I would have missed it. It was there, streak of light, it's gone. Um, so, uh, we, uh, we talked, uh, I want to say for about an hour or so, um, and it was really good to reconnect on this. Uh, and he had pretty much blocked it out for years, um, because it was, it was just like a, like a crazy thing that happened. Nobody cared about it. And he also didn't want to talk about it with people. I think he was, he was traumatized by the, 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 the ridicule. I was more traumatized by this thing being like right next to me. Um, so he, he just, he had shut down and not talked about it for years until, until I brought it back up. So now, now I'm dredging up all these memories for him. So, um, I said, well, you know, I'm going to be up in, in, uh, that area, um, uh, next month. Why don't we get together and have coffee? So we did, we met up at a, a Starbucks and, um, you know, we, we, uh, um, synced up on, you know, and a lot of, a lot of small talk, a lot of like, you know, you know, so you got a family, what are you doing? You know, what's for work, all this stuff. We, we were catching up after, um, you know, over two decades of, um, and, and remember like I was never really friends with this guy. I, I, I knew him for about a week. Um, and, uh, you, you could say we were, uh, uh, good buddies for about a week or so, but never really knew that much about each other. Um, so, it was a little, a little strange now I'll try to catch up with someone that you never really had that much of a relationship with in the first place. But, uh, it was, it was cool at the same time because we did have this shared experience. So, um, you know, we caught up and then, uh, didn't really keep in touch much over the following year, but then, uh, uh I was up in that area again, uh, a year later and we met up for coffee again. So, um, those are the only two times I've seen the guy since this all happened. Sorry, I hadn't unmuted my mic there. Um, so, do you know what? And just hearing that Mike saw this thing shoot away, that yeah. makes me wonder that you never saw it come into view. Did it shoot equally as fast to the point where you were? Slow down to that, you know, crawling speed. And then, and something I want to mention as well, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, the on unidentified dimension that 60 miles from where you were, there is apparently some uh, another base, American site, which is part of the is it North American defense system, which I believe would would potentially hold nuclear weapons, potentially or some sort of you know defensive missiles. Do you think there's any chance this thing was scanning the area in general? Because, like you say, if you've come from a great distance or wherever yeah. this thing's came from, and it can go at the speeds it can, then sixty miles or a hundred miles isn't that far. So it's just having a leisurely scan along the you know, the woods, the forests, because you never know what's under the ground roundabout and then shooting off once it's done its scanning. Is that something you've thought about? Or So, uh, 
So the first question, uh, you know, could it have just like kind of like blipped in, into my uh, uh, presence? I don't think so. I, I think I just didn't notice it um, because when I when I uh, recapped with um, with Mike uh, two years ago, he said he had been watching it for a while before uh, he and I spoke. Like not long after we got there, he he first noticed it. So, uh, you know, if, if he had been, if his experience was more like half an hour long, uh, it probably didn't just uh, uh, zip into my presence. It probably just crept up on me, and I and I didn't notice it until it was there. Um, and you know, the, the the height of the trees, it's it's very possible that it was just moving very slowly across the tops of the trees. And and I, I didn't see it until it had you know come close enough into, into view. Um, as far as the the nuclear connection, I think that um, and and you know I, I don't uh, I don't disparage the uh, the, the folks uh, at A and E or History Channel uh, in any way. I think that they, they did a really good job with my story. Um, I don't see the the nuclear connection myself. Um, I don't think there were any kind of uh, missiles or silos or anything on the base that I was on. Although I don't know for sure. There's no way I, I could, you know, say it was a Canadian facility. I don't think it was nuclear. Um, and uh, as far as scanning other sites around the general area, it's possible. Um, I've, I've always thought that because there had been all this troop movement, that that was what, sparked uh the people if you want to call them people in in the ship to to come and investigate uh and and want to see what's happening there um and and you know i i know that that the the u.s does this all the time like we'll uh we have satellites in space that that know when you know north korea or russia or any, any uh potential adversary is moving large numbers of troops from one place to another and then they, they take closer note of that and they want to see, well, why, why, why are so many thousands of troops moving, you know, to the border of uh, this other country? Uh, something's going on there. I, I think that's what was happening. I think that they, they just noticed, you know, thousands and thousands of, of, uh, of uh, you know, armored vehicles and, and uh, you know, uh, troops from all over the, the, the region are, are all converging on this one spot. Let's go check this out. Okay. Can I just ask, did you have an interest in UFOs or the subject before this sighting? And and already you're, you're shaking your head and that surprises me because normally, obviously you jumped straight away and you've said on the show and you've said here on the podcast that you straight away went to alien spaceship, mm-hmm. which regardless of what you're seeing in front of you, you still hear most witnesses don't jump to that conclusion and you'll still have people say oh it could have been anything you know i'm not yeah. sure etc but you went straight to alien spaceship so beforehand you didn't really have any other sightings or, or, or interest in the subject as such no no and, and and you know i i was into sci-fi a little bit i i always uh I liked you know i grew up watching star wars the, the original three you know, you know trilogy movies uh really into that into star wars a little bit into you know some of the old Star Trek. Never really became a, a huge Trekkie, um, but generally had an appreciation for sci-fi. But wasn't really 
like a, a UFO guy. I wasn't into any kind of, uh, or, or, or other, you know, what, and, and I, I hate that people lump UFOs in with paranormal, but I'll, I'll, I'll just mention the two together just because, you know, to illustrate the point that I wasn't into any of that. I had no interest in, in any of that kind of stuff. You know, when I was 19 years old, I, I uh, you know, I wanted to meet girls and, and, uh, and party. And, you know, I, I, uh, I was trying to get through school. Um, I didn't have time for, for UFOs. And, and then even after, even after the sighting, uh, it never became a topic of interest, but that may also be a, a product of the times we were in, because like I said earlier, there, there were just not a lot of, uh, outlets for that kind of thing, uh, as the years went by and, um, it, it started to become, you know, there's all these now specialized uh, TV channels and shows and internet, uh, um, you know, properties, uh, you have more access to that kind of information. So, so you can really get immersed in the subject. Um, still never, you know, never became something that, that I, I wanted to get into. And, and I remember there was, uh, there was, uh, uh, some kind of UFO conference going on, uh, this had to be, I want to say, 10 to 12 years ago. Um, uh, took my wife out for a, um, I want to say it was her, her birthday. We went out for a brunch at a nice hotel. And uh, uh, there just happened to be a UFO conference going on in one of the, the meeting rooms there. And I, I saw the sign walking by it, and I'm like, Hmm, I should check that out. And I, I, I didn't say, you know, we had reservations. We, we, we had to go and be at our, our table. So we went and we sat down and ate. And then on the way out, I said to my wife, you know, I, I saw this UFO. I want to go check this out, see what this is all about. And I went in there and uh, there weren't that many people in there. And, uh, you know, there didn't seem to be a lot going on. And, and I met, there was a guy sitting at a table and I waited to talk. I don't know who it was. I, I said, hey, you know, um, I had this experience. I saw a UFO and he's like, yeah, it, like it was, it was like, like crickets, like, like I had no interest in hearing anything more about it. So that was it. That was my whole experience with the UFO community. Uh, you know, I walked out of there thinking, eh, at least like, this, this is nothing, there's nothing going on here. And uh, didn't take an active interest in any of, of uh, what, what we now would refer to as UFO Twitter. Um, until uh, about two years ago, uh, after I had been talking to the uh, A A&E uh, folks for several months, and um, I decided, and you know, I've written written this uh, uh, many times, like the the evolution of the blog, that um, I, I realized now I was at this point of no return, where uh, I was going to be on this TV show. Um, at least I thought at the time I was going to be on season one. And people are going to know my name and my face. Uh, it doesn't make any sense now to try to uh, retain my anonymity. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be famous for fifteen. You know, I'm gonna have my fifteen minutes of fame. Like uh, was it Andy Warhol that, that uh, mm -hmm. said that? Um, and not that I ever wanted or expected any notoriety from this. Um, and I, I was a little little nervous about that, but it was going to happen. So let me, let me try to do something with this and what can I, you know, what can I do? Uh, you know, is there a way that I can maybe help other people that have had similar experiences to have this, you know, because for, for decades I wanted to tell somebody, didn't know who to tell. Didn't seem like anyone cared. 
okay, there's got to be other people. And that's the thing I've always thought, like, the, I can't be the only one. How, well, I'm not special. Why, why was I the one, the only person on earth who had this kind of experience? Like, I can't be. It's impossible. There's so many billions of people. There have to be others. So I thought, let me, let me provide an outlet for other people to tell their stories. And I thought about doing like what you're doing, like doing a podcast or uh, maybe a YouTube channel and um, or, or a TV show. And I looked at all these different ways to, to try to make that happen. And, and I thought, let me, uh, let me start to document this process along the way so that, um, uh, you know, I can look back years later and I'll, I'll have some kind of record of, of uh, how this all came to be. Um, so along the way, I realized that I really wasn't quite as interested in doing a UFO podcast or TV show or YouTube channel as I was in writing. I was really having a fun time writing that blog that was, it was documenting these other efforts, but that's what I really was enjoying. And I was starting to get some, some uh, traction on it. You know, first it was just, I only sent it out the, the, the link out to, I want to say about a dozen or so friends. Um, and, you know, six months later, there were thousands of page views by people all over the world. And now, you know, two years later, um, uh, you know, I'm coming close to 100,000 100, page views. So along the way, that's when I started to get more involved with the UFO community, you know, by researching things to write about and, uh, you know, getting in touch with other people that I could have conversations, you know, dialogues with. Um, little by little, I kind of got sucked into uh, UFO Twitter to the point now where um, it's something I'm, I'm involved with on a daily basis and, and uh, you know, I really enjoy. Yeah, and that's great. And we'll, we'll talk about the blog anyway, because I was going to ask about staying active within the community and, and you have, and like you say, UFO Twitter is a little bit infamous now and your experience when you went to that UFO expo and you go up to that table and you try and tell someone your experience and you get a little bit of a meh. And no doubt the yeah. guy was trying to sell some books or some autographs or something. And you've got I people. I think that was it. I think yeah. that was the whole thing. Someone was trying to like, you know, make some money and they didn't really care about what my experience was. They were there to, you know, peddle their own schlock. And that, and that's it. And you know what? I'll thank you now for the five hundred dollar fee you're going to pay me for coming on the podcast. You know, but that, that's there's no money to be made in in this. Yeah. And it's I, I get, and I've got a Patreon where people can support the show because these things do come at a cost. There's hosting, there's equipment, all that kind of stuff, and and that's fine. And there's a lot of people do that, and that's just the way things things work now. But you want to share people's stories. I don't hide you behind a paywall, and if you want to listen to David's story, pay this amount of money. Because your story is one that needs to be heard and experienced. And again, it goes against that weight of testimony and it's credible and it just adds to that massive file. Like I've always said, disclosure is not going to be the the UFO in the White House lawn. It's going to be a massive stack of papers of, look, this is this is everything. Here's all the evidence. Surely there's more to it. And it just it will just keep building and building and building. And people like yourself, like you say, 15 minutes of fame in a lot of fields, you come and go, bang, that's it. Whereas I think with UFOs, UAP, whatever the phenomena is, you can actually stay and contribute like you have to the community. And your blog is isaw12.net, and I'll put the links in the description of the podcast as well. And there's some really interesting stuff on there. One of the blogs I was reading, and again, you've got away with words and the way you described the scene earlier, going back to the actual experience you had. 
you do that within the blog as well. And I think it's even just one part of it I was reading where you talk about um, phoning an old friend. And I don't know if it's the same thing you referred to earlier, but, you know. Yeah, you, that, that, was, that was just like, like a, yeah. a week or so ago. Yeah, you poured yourself a drink and you recounted the story. And I think you mentioned on the call, you say to them that I had an experience and they kind of skip over it. And it's like, well, that's that's what it's like because you've got people yeah. who want to listen. You've got the ones who will be genuinely interested, but then you've got people who just don't want to know. And it's just that, yeah. that's still the majority of the world, unfortunately, at the minute. But that's slowly changing, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think when, when you mention to somebody, I saw a UFO, they don't, they don't expect that there's a whole story behind it. Mm-hmm. It, you know, their, their mind immediately jumps to, I saw some bright lights in the sky that were moving in a funny way, end of story, because that's mostly what you hear about. And, and who would imagine that you had uh, what would be considered a close encounter with an alien spaceship? It's just, it, it's not something that people's minds just don't go there, you know? Yeah, and I think that's why your experience and your testimony on Unidentified is one of the ones that does really stand out. They're all great and unique in their own way, and they've all got an incredible backstory. Jeremy McGibbon's backstory, you know, the crate in the desert, you know, potential mm-hmm. broken arrow, all that kind of stuff's amazing to hear as well as the incident itself. You saw something up close. It wasn't a light in the sky. It wasn't an orb in the distance. You know, it wasn't a little glowing ball flying about. You saw what appears to be a, a nuts and bolts, I think is the phrase at the minute, craft. You know, you saw something that was might not be nuts and bolts, but it was physical. It was there. It was you could have touched yeah. it, and you say you, you you got a feeling from it, and that's that's pretty unique in itself. And hopefully, going forward, season three, if and when that happens, we get a lot more of that sort of testimony. Anthony LePay mentioned when I interviewed him that there was a couple of employees from NASA had got in touch, who didn't want to go public with their their testimony in season two. Maybe that's something down the line for a season three. Who knows? But um, I want to get to listener questions because you've actually answered a few of them already, David, within the, the body of the show. Okay, folks. So on to listener questions before we wrap up. Uh, Tom got in touch. He asked, David, do you see more servicemen and women coming forward after a show like Unidentified? Is the stigma now gone? No. I don't think the stigma's gone by any means. I, I think that... Um you know, uh, TTSA and, and, and unidentified, they've done a really good job at helping to break down some of the barriers, but, um, you know, it's still a relatively, um, it's a small audience for, for this subject. So, you know, I, I, I was, uh, um, telling, a, a friend, um, an acquaintance, uh, probably about two months ago, two, three months ago, one of the, one of the dads on uh, one of my kids sports teams. And, uh, you know, so we were initially talking about sports and, and, you know, the kids sports. And, uh, I, I mentioned to him, Hey, you know, I'm going to be on this, this, uh, show in uh, July about, about, uh, this UFO that I saw and the guy didn't want to hear anything about it. And, and, um, and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, there's like, Billions of stars out there, and they all, you know, most of them have planets, and a lot of those planets are uh, uh, probably inhabitable. And uh, odds are, statistically, that that's the, that's the case. He didn't want to hear about that. And then uh, I, I said, "Well, um, I'm telling you, I have I have this story that that this you know thing that happened." And uh, he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'll believe it when I see it." And I'm like, "Okay, but." I've never lied to you about anything ever. Like tell me one time I've ever lied to you about anything. 
you know, uh, are you calling me a liar? And he's like, no, I just don't believe it. Like, well, it's, it's kind of like the, the same thing. So I, I just think that, that there are so many people still who simply either don't want to or are incapable of believing uh, that there's anything else out there. And in, until the time when we can uh, convince people to, you know, break some of these old habits, there's still going to be quite a bit of, uh, uh, you know, mistrust, uh, ridicule. Uh, you know, people like to joke about things they don't understand or that are unusual to them. So uh, as much as I, I think that TTSA and, and unidentified, uh, are, that these are good things that are helping to break down some barriers, I think we're still a long ways off from uh, people being able to um, really talk about these things and maybe you know, report them up the chain of command in, in the military uh, without full you know, fear, fear of uh, any, any uh, kind of retribution. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, you come up against the argument regularly in this topic that I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, personally, I've never been to Canada, but I know people that have, <laughs> and I know people that talk about it, and I have seen pictures and videos, so I am more than certain Canada exists. And it's just, yeah, there there comes a point, it's like, what would they need to see? And even then, would would what would you want to see? What would be proof? You know, 2020, there's a lot of cool technology and drones and CGI out there. So, yeah, proof, proof's a kind of funny word these days. Um, yeah. The next question, you've sort of answered, but there's a little bit more to this and just be interesting to get your take on it, even if it's just a recap. But uh, from Taylor, on the craft you saw, um, could you see inside the windows, assuming that they were windows in the illustration, or were there any markings or hieroglyphics on the craft? Okay, so... Um... Yeah, I'm not sure if there are windows or lights, but I could not see inside. Um, so I can assume that there were people in there. Um, although it could it could have been a drone. It, it, you know, it could have been. I, I don't mean like a, a, a an American or Canadian drone. I mean like a, a remote controlled or even robotic uh, spaceship. Um, that, that was uninhabited. And that's something that I've talked with Mike about uh, when, when we had our first discussion about it, that it, when he was talking about how, when it zipped off into space uh, that uh, he couldn't imagine how any um, organic life form could have withstood the, uh, uh, the forces, the physical forces uh, that, that would have been crushed against their, their the backs of their seats as this thing took off. Um, so I don't know if there was anyone inside it or not. And, and, and although there's been a lot of, a lot of talk online about how, like with the Tic Tac and, and other ships, um, that maybe that there's a way to create a, a separate type of gravitational force inside a, a ship that protects the inhabitants from, from the you know, physical forces. But that, um, to answer, you know, answer the question, um, I could not see inside and I don't know for sure if anyone was in there. I, I can only assume that there was, I had always thought there must be. Um, as far as any kind of markings, there were, there were no, there was no writing, no type of, um, uh, hieroglyphics or any markings of any type on it. It was completely smooth from end to end. The only variation in, in any of it was the three lights across the front. That's great. Uh, next question, UFO boy, if you could relive the same incident now, 
would you do anything differently? Tell you what, that's that's a really great question. Um, and uh, so, um, a little over a year ago, uh, I was talking with a neighbor who's uh, uh, a writer, um, and he's he's published quite a few books and, and um, is fairly well known. And um, saying how uh, you know I have this this story, I'd like to get the story out. Um, and he, he was, uh, saying to me that he, he would love to have, uh, the kind of experience that I claim in quotes, uh, air quotes, uh, to have had, uh, and thinks it would be really cool to, uh, you know, uh, have a close encounter or even meet some aliens. And I told him, no, you wouldn't, uh, because I was terrified. I was, I was it was, I can't even, there were no words to express the level of terror that I experienced sitting there by myself with a, a, you know, empty weapon on my lap, uh, alone in the woods. It was the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me and more than anything that could happen to anyone, unless perhaps they're in a combat situation or a civilian in a war, you know, it's like a, a city under siege or something. I mean, there's, there's, there's no other way to, uh, to describe what happened that just the, the, the terror. So, um, I don't know if I'd want to be back in the situation again. Uh, but if I, if I were, um, I do wonder if I would, you know, attempt to make contact or not. Um, if, if we were, if, if it was back in time and I didn't have hindsight, but I, I, I did have the ability to make different decisions. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say if I would try to go out there and wave my arms or, or something, you know, now maybe I would, um, because I am curious, although I've also heard some, some terror stories from, uh, from people that had been abducted. I met Travis Walton last year. That's one of the most famous abductees. And um, he, uh, he describes it as not a nice um, experience being abducted. So if I had like walked out and waved my arms in the air, might they have come down and, and, you know, uh, try to take me aboard the ship or beam me up or whatever happens. Uh, And would I be further traumatized from that? Uh, you know, I don't know if I'd want to be in that position. It, it might, it would be a cool story, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would, if I'd ever want to be in that, in that position. Um, maybe the one thing I would really do a little bit differently is to not have let it out of my sight. And, you know, I, I, I was scared. Uh, I was nervous. I, um, I didn't like being exposed in, you know, out in the open. Uh, and I really wanted to return back to that, that little bench, but maybe the biggest thing I would have done differently is, um, is to have stayed out by the road a little bit longer and continue to watch it. And maybe, maybe I would have seen it zip off into space like Mike did. I don't know. Um, the other thing is I wish I had a camera and I think, I think I did have a disposable camera, uh, with me, um, back at, at, at camp, I believe I brought one up there. Um, but 
it's not like today where people carry their phones uh, in their pockets all the time uh, and you just happen to have a camera on, on you all the time. Uh, nobody would have thought of uh, uh, bringing a, a camera out on guard duty. Uh, what would you take pictures of? It was dark out. So um, I do kind of wish I had had a camera with me. That would have been nice because that would make this a whole different story. But yeah, so having a camera and maybe watching this thing a little bit longer. Awesome. And the last question, a listener wanted to remain anonymous. They wanted your thoughts on the UAP task force. And do you see any progress being made once we get the declassified report? What is that? So we- the, the UAP task force that's been passed through Senate. Um, oh, is that uh, Marco Rubio's thing? Yeah, um, and basically they've got to produce a report that should be fully declassified. I don't see that happening, but um, to the public with, you know, best summations of what these things are, what do we know? I can see that being heavily, heavily watered down, but, you know, what do you see kind of coming from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. I haven't, I haven't really read up on the details of that. I only have like a superficial knowledge of, of what they're doing. Um, I, I'd uh, definitely welcome... Um, a conversation with uh, with the folks that are involved with that, and and you know when, when I um, when when Lou Elizondo was here, um, he told me that uh, um, a lot of people in government are going to be watching this. Um, so I'm assuming that that the the folks on that task force have seen the episode that I was in, and um, that that's going to make it into the record, um, and I'm happy about that. That's all I ever wanted out of any of this. You know, I didn't didn't want any any fame or fortune or anything. Um, so if if my story makes it into that uh, investigation, that's great. That was that was the whole goal all the time. But what's going to come of it, I don't know. Thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your story, David. It's been great to kind of listen to you recounting that and hearing the extra details as well. Um, do you want to just remind the listeners how they can find your blog and how they can get in touch with you as well? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andy. Um, so my blog is at isaw12.net. I'm also putting together a YouTube channel, which uh, may or may not take off. I, I've, uh, it's gone in fits and starts before. Um, and also, I'm going to be riding in a benefit uh, for uh, men's health uh, at the end of this month called the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. And uh, I welcome anyone who would like to sponsor me for that. Uh, none of the none of the funds go to me. It all goes towards supporting uh, research into things like prostate cancer and men's mental health. It's in, in association with the Movember uh, Foundation. So uh, you can find that at uh, the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride and look up David Marceau. I uh, definitely would appreciate any any uh, sponsors uh, for that ride and. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, there is a contact form on, on the blog, I saw onetonet Feel free to reach out if you'd like to share your own experience or um, you know, just want to have a dialogue on, on, uh, on something. I'm happy to uh, discuss things with people. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'll be sure to share that sponsor link on the description as well, people. So however you're listening to this podcast, if you check out the description, you'll have David's details in there, but also the link for that sponsor. So if you can, share a couple of dollars, pounds, euros, whatever your currency is, that would be much appreciated. Uh, thank you again, David. Thanks a lot, Andy.
like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. And I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake? It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.